your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Joel. The book of Joel. If you're wondering where the book of Joel is, it is a tiny book in the Old Testament, uh, sort of in the last third of your Old Testament there. Uh, And uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Joel, chapter 2. This is one of those times when having a Bible that's uh, got an index or uh, memorizing your Bible index or having a a phone with your your Bible in it, that's all very helpful. We're going to look at Joel, chapter 2, verses 12 to 13 together this morning. Praise God. I've got a powerful message to share with you guys, especially on Baptism Sunday. Uh, we are here getting ready for some really cool things that are happening here at Thrive. Uh, and uh, in fact, while you're turning to your Bibles, you can also direct your attention to a card that you have on your seats this morning. It's called, do you guys have this on your seats? It's called Go Deeper. Everyone say Go Deeper. And this, this is all about a church-wide fast that we're going to be doing this coming week. Everyone say this week. And we're really excited about it, and uh, we'll be doing uh, that together for the next couple of days. I'm going to explain a bit more about what that is, but let's look at Joel chapter 2, verse 12 to 13 together. Read in a big, loud voice with you. One, two, three, it says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. You know, sometimes when I read scripture, it kind of, I kind of gloss over it the first time. Maybe I'm distracted, that kind of stuff. So I find it sometimes helps to look at scripture more than once. So let's go back to verse 12, and I want you in a big, loud voice to help me preach this morning. Could you read in a big, loud voice, verse 12? My, my, my voice is, you know, I don't know if it's the water it, it, that's kind of cold. I'm not sure if it's uh, my, my own sickness, but uh, my, my voice is a bit hoarse today, so I need all the help that you, I can get this morning. Uh, and so why don't you read verse 12 in a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, even now, This morning, the message I'm here to share with you is called Time to Fast and Pray with Your Church. And this morning, my job here is very, very simple. I'm here to get you ready as a church for what we're going to be doing next few days, which is our church-wide fast. And I just talked about that on the card. And this is one of the coolest things we do all year. This church-wide fast is a time where for three days we spend time praying together as a church. We even fast as well. We're going to be talking a bit more about that today. And so for those of you who've never fasted before, or you wonder, why do Christians fast? I think this message is going to be very, very helpful for you. For those of you who are getting ready to fast starting tomorrow, I believe that this is going to be a really good primer to get you ready, to get your heart ready for what we're going to be experiencing together as a church in the next few days. For those of you who are still on the fence about it, like, oh, should I fast? Should I join the church in fasting this time? Then I'm going to encourage you with this message to, you know, to listen well and uh, believe that God's going to speak to you this morning. And for those of you who are just kind of simply exploring Christianity today, you're you're new to this whole church thing. Maybe this is your first time in a church. Maybe you came here more because you wanted to see a friend get baptized. Um, I'm here to tell you that I believe this message is for you as well. If you ever considered or wondered, you know, is God there? Is God real? Does he care? Then I believe that this message is going to really be helpful for you as well. If you believe that, say amen. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about time to fast and pray for your church. What, what is fasting? Let me give you a really great definition that one pastor in my life uh, shared with, uh, with me once. Uh, it's, it's, it's here. It's, why don't you read it with me? It says, fasting is abstaining from food with a spiritual goal in mind. It is when I pursue the God of heaven to do something powerful and supernatural in and through my life. Fasting was when I, when I choose not to eat because I want, it's not because I want to lose weight. It's 
not because uh, I don't have time, but it's because I want to do it for a spiritual purpose. I'm setting aside a period of time during which I am going to, instead of eat, I'm going to pray and draw near to God and believe that as I do, that God is going to work in my life. Now, why do we fast? And when do we fast? I want to talk about that today. See, how do you know when it's time to fast and pray? Well, the Bible actually talks about three circumstances where fasting and praying with your church is a good thing to do. And we're going to talk about that today. And you can write this down and encourage you to take some good notes this morning as we get ready for this. Three situations where fasting and praying will be especially helpful for you. Number one is this, is when you need a breakthrough in life. That's a really great time to fast and pray. Everyone say a breakthrough. Do you need a breakthrough in your life this morning? Maybe in your marriage, maybe in your own relationship with God, maybe in another relationship, maybe in when it comes to your future, your career, your business. When you're in need of a breakthrough, fasting and praying is an extremely helpful thing to do. Look at Joel chapter 1 verse 14 with me. Read it in a loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. What's going on? The prophet Joel, he is speaking to the people, and he's saying, we're going to declare a fast. We're all going to fast together. We're going to call sacred assembly, which means we're going to gather everyone together to worship God and to pray together. We're going to call the, the leaders of the land, everyone in the land, to join together in fasting and praying together and to cry out to God. And then why is it that he does that? Look at verse 16 with me. Read it in a loud voice with me. Verse 16, it says, Has not the food been cut off before your very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the claws. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down, for the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan, the herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the open pastures, and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up, and fire has devoured the open pastures. So what's going on? Why is Joel calling his people, the nation of Israel, to fast and to pray? It's because they're in need of a breakthrough. At this time, this nation of Israel has been hit by a plague of locusts. And, you know, locusts are like grasshoppers who swarm together and who, who, who do damage to fields and crops and livestock. And that's exactly what's going on, is that Joel's land, the nation of Israel, has become a dry and weary land where there's no water. It's become a place where, you know, food supply has been depleted, where people are starving, livestock are suffering, grain has dried up. It's a dry and weary land. And if you think that plagues of locusts is something that's sort of like, oh, that's Prince of Egypt. Yeah, I remember watching that movie. That's like ancient times. The fact is, locust plagues still happen today. In fact, to give you a bit more of a flavor for what a locust plague is like, let's check, check out this video clip here. Very, very quick. It's one, one minute or less. We're looking at a locust plague that happened just a few years ago in Australia. Check this out right now. All right, so that's a locust plague. Aren't those locusts adorable? Yeah? Wouldn't you love one as a pet? Maybe a few of them said, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But here's the thing, is locust plagues are things that hit crops even to this day. Why am I asking, or why am I showing this video to you? It's because Joel, he's calling his people, the nation of Israel, to fast and to pray because they need a breakthrough in the event of a locust plague. My question for you is this, maybe what's plaguing you today is not a locust plague, but what is plaguing you today? What, is there a problem in your life, in your home, in your marriage, 
in a friendship that you care about, in your own health, or maybe in you know, your attitude, your perspective right now. What problem is plaguing your life today? Maybe it's not locust, but maybe it's something else. Maybe you know, your marriage is going through a major, uh, a, a major transition, or maybe your marriage is suffering right now, and you know, maybe there's something in your life that is draining the energy and the, and the joy from your life. What is plaguing your life today? Maybe it's a worry, a worry about the future that you can't control, and every day it's like you don't see locusts buzzing around you, but that worry kind of buzzes around you all the time. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Oh, I'm so worried. I'm so worried. And, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a plague that goes after you every day. Maybe it's a problem that you have no solution for. Maybe it's a secret struggle, a habit that you want to shake, but you've had no way of shaking it. Maybe it's the plague called boredom where you right now, you are just not motivated. You're kind of just bored with life. Things are just like blah right now for you. It's like, you know, you're just really kind of, you know, every day is like a daily grind where you just go to work or you go to school, you come home, and it's just the same thing over and over again. You take care of the kids, you go back to work, come home, you watch TV, go back home, and, and, you, know, and, and you, you wake up again. And it's just this daily grind where you just don't really, sure, you're not really sure what you're doing or why you're doing it anymore. And you know, in Mandarin, they'll be like, oh, it's, it's all lao yangzi. It's all same old, same old. And you feel drained. You feel unmotivated. You're just kind of bored with life. Is that the plague that is hurting you today? A plague of boredom. Maybe you're in a spiritual rut today. Is that, you know, you used to be, you know, you used to feel like you had a close relationship with God. But, you know, that, that, that's kind of not the way it is anymore. You feel kind of distant from God now. Maybe emotionally you're in a bit of a rut as well. Maybe you feel distant from people or just kind of feel like in a different place right now. Can I tell you, if any of these situations applies to you, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit to you that you are in need of a breakthrough. That you are someone who doesn't need to continue to live with that plague in your life, but that you can experience a breakthrough. And one of the best ways that you can do so is to do so by fasting and praying. See, as much as I love to eat, and I love to eat, how many of you guys know I love to eat? I love to eat. You know, I, I, I'm the kind of guy who will go to McDonald's and I won't just order a cheeseburger. I'll order a cheeseburger with four extra patties. And, uh, and I, I can even tell you which franchise in Richmond uh, is the best one to go to at McDonald's because different McDonald's will charge you differently for an extra patty. I, I can tell you that much. That's how much I love food. But see, here's the thing. is as much as I love to eat, I cannot deny the fact that the times when I've experienced the presence of God the most powerfully, the times when God has spoken into my life most significantly, have often come in times of prayer and fasting. You know, I, I told you I love to eat. And, uh, you know, let me just share a story with you about how I loved to eat. And, uh, you know, I, I, this is the story that some of you guys are aware of. But, you know, as our church has grown, you know, there, there are more and more people who have never heard the story. And, and as, as I was waking up this morning, I just sensed maybe that the Holy Spirit was saying that someone here need to hear this story this morning. So I'm going to share this story with you. How many of us know that one of the, your testimony, which is the way that God works in your life, that is, that is something that God gives you to share with others. Amen. Amen. And so I want to encourage you, if God has done some really cool things in your life, I want to encourage you to share it in your, your small group. I want to share it at home. You know, it's, it's, it's a tool that God has given you to reach out and bless other people. And if small group leaders in this place, I, I want to encourage you to get your small group, small group members to, to share their testimony often, even if it's, you know, every, other, every, every few months or so, getting to the habit of sharing your testimony, because that's all about, all about living out loud and about being a blessing to others. If you believe that, say amen. So let me share this with you guys really quick. Is that when, when I was uh, about eight, nine years old, I loved to eat. Loved to eat, even more so than now. And uh, to the point where it really showed. Uh, I was a very, very chubby kid. People called me Xiaopeng. If you don't know what Xiaopeng means in Mandarin, in Mandarin it means small, fat boy. 
That's what it means. And at the time, I had no idea what that meant because I am uh, an English speaker. I didn't grow up speaking Mandarin. And so I remember really, I'd go to Chinatown because my, my dad would take me to Chinatown to get haircuts. I guess he thought that the, the best haircuts were in Chinatown or the cheapest haircuts were in Chinatown. I'm not really sure. He, he'd take me to Chinatown. Go, I'd go to the barber shop and, uh, you know, I'd go through the door, ding, 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 ding. And then there would be the same barber would always greet me the same exact way. You know what he'd say? He'd look at me and go, hey, Xiaopang. And, and, and he, he would always greet me as Xiaopang. And I'm like, what does that even mean? And I, I'd be like, well, whatever. I'd sit in the chair. He'd, he'd give me my bowl cut haircut, you know. And then, you, and then, and then I'd, I'd walk away. And my, my dad and I would be walking down the sidewalk. And one time I finally had the courage to ask my dad, hey, dad, like that, that barber, he keeps calling me Xiaopang. What does that even mean? And, and you know, my, my dad, who does speak Mandarin and who knows what Xiaopang means, uh, he, he, he struggled with giving me the, 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 the truthful answer. He's like, ah, oh, Xiaopang. Xiaopang means, um, Xiaopang means, uh, son, uh, Xiaopang means you're very, it means you're very, it means you're very handsome, okay? It means you're very handsome, okay? Uh, okay, that's what, oh, oh, okay, it means I'm handsome. Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, okay, and so, and so next time I went to the barber shop and, and the barber's there, he's like, hey! I mean, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. You, you too. You too. You are, you are Xiaopang too. And, 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 and the fact is, back then, I, I didn't really care about the way that I looked. Back then, it was something where I just, I just like to eat. I like to have fun. I like to play games. I like to play video games. That was just all my life was about. But then, as I got into my teenage years, when I was about 13, 14, 15 years old, I became a lot more self-conscious about the way that I looked. To the point where when I look at myself in the mirror, I did not like what I saw. And, you know, when you don't like what you see, I mean, what, what do you do? You want to do something about it. And so for me, I thought, you know what? I, I want to change the way that I look. So I decided that I was going to start exercising every day. I was going to start eating healthy every day. And so every day, for the next few years, every day, I would be, wa- I'd be running outside for an hour. I think in one year, I, I ran about 100 miles in one year. Um, and you know, I would eat very, very healthy, never eat any fried stuff. I'd only eat like fruits and vegetables. I was all about that. But one of the things that happened to me is this, is that as, I, as I'm, as I'm you know, eating healthy and exercising, something that was happening was I started to really thin out. I started to get really, really thin, and I liked it. You know, if, in, in fact, if you look at my high school yearbook photos, and you kind of put them back to back to back, year after year after year, and you flip it, it's almost like a flip book, a flip chart, or like a, or, or like a cartoon, you'll see me getting smaller and smaller and smaller. That, 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 that was me. I was becoming, I was went from being very, very fat to very, very thin. And, you know, I liked it. I, it, it was something that I actually wanted to happen more and more. I'd look at myself in the mirror and go, that's a good looking guy, right? I, 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 I kind of like that. But here's the thing, is that something on the inside was going on in my life that wasn't very healthy at all. Is that while on the outside, I felt like I was looking better and better, on the inside, something unhealthy was going on in my life, which is that whenever there was a day when I didn't exercise, then I would feel like I need to go in the middle of the night, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, outside and run an hour right there and then. I just did this tremendous sense of guilt and shame that felt like, you know what, I, I need to do something about this. And so it, oftentimes in the middle of the night, you would find me exercising because I was so frantic about the way that I looked. You know, if there was a day when I didn't eat healthy, there would be this tremendous weight of guilt on me where I would want to almost punish myself. Okay, for the next week, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to eat anything. 
I'm just going to just try to eat as little as possible. What was going on? See, it was that my, for, for some reason, my worth, my happiness, my value all became dependent on these very external things. Like, you know, how thin does my face feel? How much, how much fat can I pinch off of my stomach today? You know, did I eat healthy today? Did I exercise today? And I'm not against eating healthy. I'm not against exercising. But the fact was that these things started to control my life in a way that was very, very odd. You know, I, I know some girls, I had some girl friends who, 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 who maybe experienced something like that. But I, 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 I don't know many guys who've experienced it. I wouldn't call it an eating disorder. But it was something where I got to the point where my, my self-image was extremely unhealthy. And, and it was something where I had very little confidence in those times when I didn't feel like I looked very good. You know, you, you'd try to look at me in the eye to talk, talk to me. I'd be looking from the side of my eyes. Partly because I wanted to be like Bruce Lee. Another, another part because, you know, I just didn't have very much confidence at all during that time. There was a, pro, there, there, there was a friend who knew about my problem. And he said, hey, JB, you know, what are you going to do about this, man? This isn't healthy. I was like, I know, I know, I, I, I don't know. And he said, can I, can I tell you, can I give you a suggestion? He said, why don't you try to fast and pray about this issue? I was like, fast? Sure, I can lose more weight that way. I was like, yeah, I can, I can, I can fast. And he said, no, 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 I want you to fast and pray. And I never really fasted and prayed before. I was like, okay, how do you think that will help? Well, you know, just, just, just try it. You know, maybe, maybe God will speak to you in a way. And, um, and I thought, okay, you know what? I have nothing to lose uh, why don't I try it? And so for the next five days, at the time I was working at an office, it was in the summer after grade 12, and I was working at an office and just kind of doing a lot of paperwork and all that stuff, and I decided that over the next week I was going to fast and pray about this issue. I decided for the next five days at lunchtime I would just not, uh, I, I wouldn't eat. Instead I would, you know, go somewhere, I'd maybe grab my Bible, I'd read it, and I'd maybe try to pray. And I thought in my heart that maybe, maybe something would happen. And so I went into first day, day one of this fast, and, you know, I, I, I get up my Bible. This is lunchtime. I, I, I go to a quiet place to try to pray, and uh, nothing really happens. It's just a normal day. The second day, I, I get my stuff out, and I get my Bible out. I start to pray. Nothing really happens. Third day, you know, I, I get it out, and I'm like, okay, maybe something will happen today. I get my Bible out. I, I'm reading. I'm praying. Still, I mean, nothing really dramatic. Nothing really happened. Number, fourth day, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm in the same place. Do the same thing. Nothing really happens. Finally, the fifth day. I go in, and I get my Bible out. It's lunch hour, and, you know, I, I'm kind of excited. Okay, maybe it's the last day. Maybe something will happen. I open up my Bible. I pray. But really, nothing really happened. And I was like, okay, that was really helpful. Thanks, friend. That was a very, that was a very helpful suggestion. That didn't really help me at all. And, and I was like, okay, fine. You know, it is what it is. I, I put my stuff away. I, uh, I just started working away that afternoon. And then that afternoon, just a couple hours later, I'm working away at some documents. And all of a sudden, I get this really strong sense in me. Not an audible voice, but a very strong sense in here saying, JB, go into the washroom and look at yourself in the mirror. Go to the washroom and look at yourself in the mirror. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, what, what, what's that about? And I was just like, you know what, forget that. I'm, you know, I'm just going to keep on working away, kept on working away. Half an hour later, that sense in me just gets stronger and stronger. JB, go to the washroom and look at yourself in the mirror. And I'm just like, what is that? I, I, I'm, maybe I'm hallucinating. What, what is that? And, and, and I'm just like, you know, forget that. I just kept on working away. Finally, over, after the course of two hours, the sense gets, gets stronger and stronger in me. JB, go into the washroom and look yourself in the mirror. And, like, and, and so it, it, finally, I'm like, okay, fine, what, whatever. I, I'm just going to do this because it's just kind of crazy, but I'm just going to do it. I, I put my documents away. 
I went outside the office. The, on that floor of our office, there's like a shared washroom. And so that I, I, I went in there. The, the, the washroom was empty. I, I walk into the washroom and I look at myself in the mirror. And the craziest thing happens is that when, when I look at myself in the mirror at that very moment, is that that same voice, if you want to call it that, that same sense of me at that moment that was said, JB, go and look at yourself in the mirror. At that moment, as I'm looking at myself in the mirror, it says, JB, from the moment you were born, to the time when you were chubby, to the time when you lost all of that weight, all the way till now. My love for you has never, ever changed. From the time that you were born, to the time when you were chubby, to the time when you were thin, to the t- all the way till now, my love for you has never, ever changed. And, and you know, it was one of those things where I, I'd been to church before, and I'd heard about, you know, God loves you, all that stuff. But for some reason... That message hit me in a way that had never hit me before, that God loves me unconditionally, that my worth is not dependent on these external things. My worth is dependent on who God is and his unconditional love for me. And, and something happened at that moment is that, you know, I, I started to cry. And I, I never really cried in, in the presence of God before. I never really cried in a washroom before, but I started crying. And it wasn't like a small cry. It wasn't just a, <laughs> it wasn't one, one of those a cry. It wasn't one of those weak, wimpy cries, but it was this, it was a big, bawling, weeping cry to the point where just tears were running down my face, almost to the point where there's like a puddle underneath. It was, it was, I just cried so much. I'd never cried so much in my life. It, praise God, no one got into the washroom at that moment. I was just on my own. But it was one of those moments where I just felt the presence of God filling my heart in a way that I'd never experienced it before. Now, I don't know why God decided to do that in my life in that way. But I can tell you this, is that from that day on, the next day, if I you know, didn't eat something that was totally healthy, or if I didn't exercise that day, it's okay. It was like there's no longer that sense of overwhelming guilt, overwhelming stress, overwhelming shame that took over my life in the years past. All of a sudden, it was like, you know what? It's cool. It's okay. I can live and move on and just be happy because my worth is not dependent on these things. And as a result, it's like after so many years of struggling internally with this issue, it was during this time of fasting and praying that God spoke into my life and set me free from one of the biggest bondages that I've ever gone through. And if you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Give God a big hand. Give him a shout as well. Can you do that right now? Praise God. That, that's your pastor's story. That's your pastor. Some of you have heard before, and it's worth sharing, is that that's when I experienced the presence of God and his unconditional love in my life. And if you're here in this place today, one of the things I want to tell you based on that experience is that if you've ever questioned your worth, if you, if you often are someone who looks down on yourself, if you're someone who often you know, looks at yourself in the mirror and does not like what you see, if you're someone who often questions how valuable you are, you, don't, you, you, you feel like, oh, you're, you're such a loser, you're a failure, whatever it is that you call yourself in, in, in just like underneath, uh, under your breath, can I tell you this? Is that in God's eyes, you are his masterpiece. That in God's eyes, you could not be loved more because God loves you just because he loves you. He is a God who loves you unconditionally. And that's, that's, that, 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 that's the one thing. If you don't get anything else out of this message this morning, it's that, get this, is that God loves you unconditionally. In fact, that's what the whole gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. This is what makes Christianity different from every other faith and philosophy and religion in this world. Because every other faith 
faith, philosophy, and religion in this world, it's all about what you have to do to earn your way to God, how you have to work your way. If you pray hard enough, if you do enough good things, if you make a pilgrimage, if you meditate enough, that maybe somehow, maybe you will earn brownie points to get to heaven or experience enlightenment or to get nirvana or to, to, to reach that divine paradise that you have to earn your way there. But see, the thing that, 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 that the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ is so unique in is that it's saying, no, it's that, you know what? There's nothing we could do to earn our way to God, but praise God, we don't have to. God reached for us even when we couldn't reach for him. Amen. That's the, that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that it wasn't that we were reaching for God and trying to work our way to him. It's that God was reaching for us. And he reached for us because he loved us, because he loves you unconditionally. So much so he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins, so that all those sins that you've ever committed, those biggest mistakes you've ever you know, made that, that, that still sometimes haunt you to this day, all of those things, all of those debts that we owed God, God says it is forgiven. All of it is done. It is finished at the cross. I've paid your debt. You can go free because I love you. If you believe that, give God a hand in this place right now. Praise God. It's God's unconditional love for you. And that's what baptism is all about. That's why, you know, our five friends got baptized today. It's not saying, oh, look at me. Look, I'm such a good Christian. Look at me. I'm such a good person. It's not about that at all. And if anything, it's the opposite. It's saying, I know I've messed up. I need a savior and I know his name is Jesus. That's all you're saying when you get baptized. Amen. And so for those of you who've been in your minds going, oh, I can't get baptized until I clean up my act. You know what that's like? That's saying, oh, I have to make sure I'm totally clean before I take a shower. Who does that? Oh, I got to make sure that I've got, I, I have no dirt on me before I take a bath. Who does that? No one does that. It's because when you get baptized, you're not saying, oh, look how good I am. You're saying, I need a savior. His name is Jesus. And I believe in what he's done on the cross for me. If you believe that, give God a big hand here in this place right now. Amen. That's his unconditional love for you. Amen. Amen. Tell processing, you give him a high five and say, God loves you so much. 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 That's the first thing I learned from that experience. But there's a second thing I learned from that experience of fasting and praying is this, is that when you fast, you can write this down, when you fast, you give God room to work powerfully in your life. See, when you fast, it's not just a ritual, it's not just a routine, it's not just a tradition, but you are giving God room to do something in your life. I, I, there's, there's something I've learned after being a Christian for about 20 years now. One thing I've learned about God is this, is that God will fill as much room as you give to him. He will not fill less than the room you give him, but he will also will not fill more than the room that you give him. And so if you give God just a little bit of room, just a tiny bit of room, then he will fill that much. But because you didn't give him the rest of the rooms, the rest of the stuff in your life, what's going to happen? You're going to miss out on so many blessings that God wanted to give you and to and ex extend through you, all because you only gave him a tiny bit of room. It's because God only fills as much room as you will let him. On the other hand, if you will give God more room in your life, 
If you'll say, God, I don't just want you to take over this room called my salvation or where I'm going to go after I die. I also want you to take over this room. It's called my finances. I want you to give you this room. It's called my marriage. I want you to give you this room. It's called my kids. I want to give you this room. It's called my future, my career, my calling. You know, I, I want to give you this room, which is my body and how I use it. I want to give you this room, which is how I spend my time. The more you give God room in your life, the more you give God room to work powerfully in your life. That's, that's, that's what it is, is that God only works and fills your life to the point that you give him room. Amen. Does that make sense in this place? And so could it be the reason why you're not experiencing much of God today is because you just haven't given very much room. You've given him Sunday morning for an hour, and that's all the room you've given him. But the rest of the time, you've basically taken up that room for yourself. See, God is like a gentleman. He will not, he will not invade your home. He waits and he knocks at the door. He stands at the door and knocks and says, hey, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will come in. See, that's how God works. He waits for you to open the door. He takes the initiative to knock. He says, hello, I'm here. I want to come in. But he waits for you to open the door. It's because God will only fill as much room as you give to him. And when you fast and pray, what are you doing? You are giving God more room to work in your life. You're saying, God, I'm not just content with where I am with you right now. God, I want to give you more room. I want you to do what only you can do in my life. Look at Psalm 81 verse 10 together in this place. One, two, three, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. See, what is it saying? It's saying that you open wide your mouth, God is going to fill it. You, God, will, God will give, he will fill your life as much as you let him. You give him a little bit of room, he, he fills you a little bit. You give him a lot of room, he will fill it even more. If you believe that, say amen. And so that means, you know, if you've been stressed and worried this past week or this past month or this past year, and you feel like life is out of control, life is complicated, if you find that you're lacking self-control, you find that there's these habits that you can't shake, or these, these changes in your life that you know you need to make, but you just can't get yourself to make them, if, if you find you're easily distracted, very unmotivated, if you find that you're bored and apathetic to the things of God, if you just want to draw closer to God, then guess what? One of the best things you can do this coming week is to fast and to pray with your church. Amen. It's one of the best things you can do because when you fast and pray, it's one of the best ways that with God's help, you can turn your worry into worship. You can turn your frustration into faith. You can turn your pressure into peace. You might be on the verge of a breakdown, but when you choose to give God more room by fasting and praying, that breakdown can very well become a breakthrough in your life. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. Are you guys awake in this place this morning? Yeah, are you learning something this morning? Let me give you situation number two. The second situation where it is really good to fast and pray is that when you're getting ready for a new season, it is so helpful to fast and pray. When you're getting ready for a new season, is there a new season that you are getting ready for? You know, is, is there a season in your business or in your marriage, or in your relationships, or in school, or in your, in your career that you're getting ready for, when you are getting ready for a new season, one of the best things you can do to get ready, to get yourself prepared, is to fast and to pray. Look at Matthew 4, 1 to 4 with me. Read it in a loud voice with me together. 1, 2, 3, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, what's going on? See, Jesus, he's just been baptized, by the way. Jesus got baptized as well as an example for us to follow. And now the, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 that, that Jesus has been led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And see, you know, yesterday there was a big showdown that many people around the world were watching. It was Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather. You guys saw, maybe some of you guys heard about that, or maybe even saw that. I, I listened to a bit on the radio, and it was a big showdown. They called it the biggest fight in combat sports history. Well, let me tell you this, is that 2,000 years before McGregor and, and Mayweather show, like, had a showdown, there was an even bigger showdown that all of heaven and all of hell is watching. It was a showdown between Jesus Christ and our enemy, the devil. And it was Matthew chapter 4. Look back at Matthew chapter 4 with me. What does it say? Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Let's look together. Can you go back? Yeah. yeah verse 3, actually. Verse 3. Okay. Look with me together. Can, can, can you help me preach in this place this morning? Read in a loud voice. One, two, three, it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man doesn't live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, what, what's Jesus doing? He's, he's ha he has a showdown with Satan. This is one of the biggest fights he's ever had in his life. And he's getting ready to fight Satan, not with, you know, not with punches and kicks and chokeholds and, and arm bars, but with the word of God. And, and, and he is getting ready for a new season in his life. Because up to this point, Jesus, he is not, he's not performed a single miracle. He's not taught a single sermon. He's not healed a single sick person. He hasn't done any of those things. He's not a public figure yet. And he's getting ready for this new season where, his, where the entire country and the region around him is going to hear about who he is. He's going to face more opposition than he's ever faced before. He's going to face more criticism than he's ever faced before. He's going to face more pressure than he's ever faced before. It is a new season he's getting ready for. And what does Jesus do to get ready for that new season? He fasts and prays. He draws near to his father and says, I need you Holy Spirit, come fill me. It's because he's getting ready for a new season. And see, here's the thing. Maybe today you're getting ready for a new season. Maybe you're going back to school. Maybe you're starting a new school. Maybe you're going to, into a new job or a new business, new industry altogether. Maybe you're getting married soon. Maybe you're about to have a baby. Maybe there's some new changes that are coming up. It's a new season for you coming up very, very soon. Can I tell you this? If Jesus, the Son of God, needed to fast and pray to prepare for a new season, if Jesus, the Son of God, needed to do that, how much more do you and I need to get ready for a new season? Amen. Amen. Turn to person on your right and you're like, give him a half and say, it's time to get ready. It's time to get ready. And see, what, did Je what happened to Jesus when he decided, I'm going to fast and pray, draw near to God? Imagine, 40 days, 40 nights. 40 days, 40 nights, he's fasting and praying. We're, not, we're only doing three days, praise God, all right? We're doing three days. Jesus said 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, look at Luke 4, 14 together. Luke 4, 14, it describes what happened to Jesus after that time of fasting and prayer. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. Help me preach right now. One, two, three, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. So what's going on is that Jesus fasts and prays to get ready for a new season. And at the end of that time of fasting and praying, not only is he able to overcome the enemy, not only is he able to be successful in that showdown, not only is he able to overcome temptation, but even more, he goes back into this new season with incredible power, wisdom, joy, vision, and courage. 
And if those are things that you need, wisdom, vision, courage, joy, insight into the new season that you're in, then can I tell you, one of the best things you can do is to fast and to pray with your church. Amen? Amen. Fasting helps you to prepare for a new season. How? Well, let me be specific with you. Two things that fasting does to prepare for your new season. One is this. is Fasting pushes you to rely much more on God and a lot less than yourself to look to God for strength. You know, we, we fast formally about twice a year as a church. We do one in March. We call it the GLV fast. It's called the God Loves Vancouver fast. It's where we're praying for our city, praying for our community, praying for, you know, you know your political leaders, uh, you know, praying for, you know, our government, praying for, you know, community leaders, all that stuff. That's when we pray for the city. And it's a time where we draw near to God. And, you know, we, we, we often ask people for feedback on, hey, how, how are things going? How did that go for you? And, and we had a number of people write back with some amazing reports about stuff that they experienced while they were fasting. There's one girl, she wrote, this. She said, I learned that we, during the GLV fast, I learned that we, we need God way more than we think. We need God way more than we think. I learned that he is God whom we can lean on for anything. Something I learned about myself is that I keep depending on myself, but in reality, it's God whom I should be depending on. If you believe that, say amen. Another, another person, she, they wrote, fasting was a new experience for me, and I started to understand relying on God in a way that I'd never had before. I also realized how weak I am without God, but God is strong, and through him I am stronger. He has amazing love for us, even when we fall short. An extra benefit of the fasting was I could diet and save money. Okay, right, all right. That, 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 that's cool, that's cool. Uh, another one, uh, another one, they wrote, the best part of fasting was spending time in prayer, worship, and reading the Bible. It also felt awesome to feel so weak and to rely completely on God for strength. God used fasting to help me become more aware of his presence and to teach me to rely on him more for all aspects of my life. Everyone say rely on him. Everyone say rely on God. See, is there an area in your life where you are trying to rely on your own ability to, to figure things out rather than to go to God for help. Is there an area in your life right now where you are just kind of really focused on, oh, these are, this is, this is it's about my experience, my plans, my cleverness, my understanding of the situation, and you're very tempted to just kind of control it all and rely on yourself to figure it out when God is saying, you want, why don't you give that to me and learn to rely on me? See, fasting and praying pushes you to rely much more on God and to look for, to him for strength. All of us in this place can be very self-reliant sometimes. I can be that way this, as well. You know, thinking I'm so smart. Oh, thinking I know it all. Thinking I've figured it all out. I've got, my, I've, got, I've got it all figured out. But the fact is this. When I fast, that's when I realize just how weak I am. When I fast, it's when I realize just how much I need God in my life. And it prepares me to receive more of him when I fast and to pray. That's the first thing that fasting does. The second thing that fasting does to prepare for your new season is that fasting sharpens you spiritually. It sharpens you spiritually. See, another girl wrote uh, in our GLV fast, uh, about our GLV fast. She said, during the GLV fast, I was more focused on God and was more disciplined in my daily time with him as well as my own daily rest time. The Holy Spirit also spoke to me during my prayer times to remind me of some of my weaknesses that I had not realized before, which I needed to work on. Another person wrote, you know, it is amazing how the past few days of fasting, I didn't feel frustration or anger at all. I just kept on praying out to God whenever I felt hungry or low on energy. He was always there to provide me with strength to finish my work, even with the week being as busy and tough as it was. At first, I was really worried that my parents would not understand why I was fasting, but praise God, my parents were very calm this time. 
During the prayer meeting, I was able to pray out loud more. Fasting and praying has been such a good way to draw closer to God. It's been a joy to fast and pray to God. See, what fasting does is it, it sharpens you spiritually. Often the most important thing that happens when you fast is not that your circumstances change, it's that you change. Is that when you fast, it's not so much that it's not necessarily. Sometimes it happens where you, know, you see miracles in your circumstances. But very often, the most important change that happens when you fast is that a change happens in you. You go from being very distant and you know, uncaring about God to being a lot more sensitive to God and to his presence. You go from you know, someone who's just kind of like kind of bored and not motivated and lacking passion to someone who has joy and purpose in their life again. You go from seeing Sunday as your only day to worship to going to seeing you know, every day is a day to worship. Amen. That every moment is a moment to worship him. And, and you know, for those of you who are concerned about you know, what, what's fasting going to do uh, to my work performance or to my studies, you know, that's partly why we picked the summer to do this. But the thing is this, I've found this as well is that when I fast, my work performance tends to go up. When I fast, uh, maybe not by the fifth or sixth day, but you know, during the first two, three days, during those first two, three days, I'm a lot more alert. I'm often sharper. I'm more focused. I'm more energetic, and I'm a lot more productive when I fast and pray. And that's why I, I, I make it a habit to do that often because of the way it sharpens you spiritually. That's the, that's, the, that's the other way that God uses fasting and praying in our lives to get us ready for a new season. Are you getting ready for a new season? Is there a new season that you need to get ready for? Is there? If there is, then you got to really consider doing something to get ready for. And one of the best things you can do is to fast and pray. If you believe that, say amen. Before I end with the third situation where you need to fast and pray, let me give you some tips on fasting. There are a lot of wrong ways to fast. You guys know that? There are some wrong ways to fast, and you got to be aware of them so you know how to fast properly. Let me go through a few of them with you right now. Wrong way number one is this, fasting to show off. Fasting to show off. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5. He's like, don't, like, is that don't fast to look good and look spiritual in front of others. Like, oh, I'm so hungry because I'm fasting. Aren't I spiritual? Hey, baby, look at how much I'm fasting. You want to go out with me? You know, it's like, it's, it's like it becomes one of those, you know, things that you kind of use as a badge of honor to go, look how much I'm fasting. Look how great I am. And, and see, here's the thing, is that fasting was never meant to be something that you show off before others through. It's a way to humble ourselves before God. Amen. It's not about a performance in front of people. It's humbling ourselves before God. That's the first wrong way that we, we, we fast sometimes. Another wrong way to fast is fasting to manipulate God. You see, let me tell you this. Fasting is not a hunger strike. Fasting is not, hell no, we won't go. It's not saying, you know, God, I will not eat until you do what you, what, until you do what I want you to do. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine if your kid said that? I will not eat until you give me that toy. What would we do? Go ahead. I, I don't have to feed you for the next few days. You know, see, here's the thing. When you, when you fast to manipulate God, you have the wrong approach to fasting, because fasting is not a hunger strike. It's not about twisting God's arm to do things your way. It's about bending our hearts toward him so that we are surrendered to his way. Amen. It's not about telling God, do things my way. It's about saying, God, I surrender my life to you. We fast as a way to surrender to God. Number three, a third wrong way that we fast sometimes is we fast, but we don't pray. Ever done that before? Oh, I'll fast, but I won't pray. And what is that? That's not spiritual, biblical fasting. When you fast and you pray, what is that called? That's called starvation, okay? That's called 
going on a diet. But I'm not calling you this week to go on a diet that changes your physique. I'm calling you to a fast that's going to change you from the inside out. If you believe that, say amen. Number four, no fourth wrong way to fast is fasting, but persisting in intentional sin. Get, get, get what I mean by that. I'm not saying that when you fast, oh, then, and if you sin at any point by accident, then all of you, you've just messed up. That, then fasting is totally, totally meaningless. No, I'm not talking about that. But it's when you know in your heart, in your life, that there is a sinful habit that is hurting you, it's hurting your relationships, it's hurting your relationship with God, and you say, you know what, I'm going to fast, and I'm going to keep on going with it. I don't care. What does that do? That makes your fasting meaningless. Isaiah 58, the prophet Isaiah talks about this a lot. He's like, what's the use of fasting when you, are not, when you don't have a repentant heart about your sin? See, that's because fasting and repentance go together. Amen. Is it about amen? Hello. Amen. See, fasting and repentance go together. And so those are four very important things you need to know as we fast. We're not doing to show off in front of people. We're here to humble ourselves before God. We're not about, you know, trying to manipulate God to do things our, our way. We're about surrendering to his way. We're not about, you know, fasting but not praying, but we're going to fast and pray together. We're not about, you know, fasting and continuing to intentionally sin, but we're fasting and repenting of sin at the same time. Is that helpful in this place? I hope you write these things down, especially if you're planning on fasting this weekend. We're planning on fasting one day. Write these things down as a good reminder of how to fast. And last thing we're going to end with today is there's one last situation that the Bible will, will, will encourage you to really consider fasting and praying for. It's when your church is fasting and praying. It's when your church is fasting and praying. See, even if you don't need a personal breakthrough, even if you're not getting ready for a new season, when your church is fasting and praying together because you are a part of that church family, you want to strongly consider, you know, that's even putting it way too politely, you should fast and pray with your church. Amen. It's because we are one body together. We are one team together. The church is not just 10% of people kind of carrying the load for the rest, but we are one team, one family, one army for Jesus Christ, and we all play a part when we fast and pray together. If you believe that, say amen. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says it this way. Read in a loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. See, as followers of Jesus, we are not just our own individual spiritual person, but we are a part of a bigger body called the church, the body of Christ. And like different parts of the body, we are meant to function and go in the same direction. We're meant to be in sync. We're meant to go together. We're meant to work together. We're meant to do things in tandem. And, and that's what being a body is about. It's about going in the same direction together. And let me tell you this, part of maturing in your walk with Jesus Christ, part of growing up spiritually is starting to see yourself not just as, an, as an, uh, your own individual person alone, and that's all there is, but it's learn to see yourself as a part of a bigger body. It's about learning to put others, including your church, ahead of yourself. And so when the head of the body says, okay, we're going to go in this way, it's like, okay, we're going this way. We are going together as one body, and I'm a part of that body. I'm going to go there too. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 26 together. One, two, three, it says, it says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Sometimes, and this happened more than once, I'll, I'll, I'll be uh, asking people, hey, so are, are you excited about the fast? Are you getting ready for it? And 
and a lot of people, yeah, we're, we're good. We're ready to go. Can't wait for Permian tomorrow. Uh, occasionally, occasionally, I'll, I'll, I'll meet someone and I'll go, hey, how, how, like, are you, are, you, are you excited about the fast we're going to be doing together? They'll be like, oh, 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 yeah, 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 good luck with that. Yeah, good luck with that. I'm like, oh, okay, you're, you're not fasting? Is something wrong? Is your health okay? Everything okay? Oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know what? It's, um, no, I'm not going to fast this time. Oh, oh, why? Why? Is everything okay? Oh, it's because, you know, I'm, I'm actually trying to gain weight. Um, I'm trying to build some muscles, right? And so I, I like, I, I'm, I, I've got this workout going on right now, and I, I go to the gym, you know, like, you know, and and I, 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 I and if I fast, I'm just gonna lose weight. So you know what? I, I, I yeah. So, the, but you, you, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. Pray for you. Yeah, right. And and what, what is that? What is that? See, in Vancouver, like kind of very individualistic like Vancouver culture. Like, oh yeah, you know, that's that's just quality of life. That's just finding the balance. But you know what that is? What that is in a spiritual from a spiritual perspective, from a biblical perspective, that is, what is that? That attitude is saying that I love my body more than I love Christ's body. That's saying my body is more important than Christ's body. I'm in love with my body, right? It's, that's what it is, right? Is that you're, you're, you're in love more with your own body than with Christ's body to the point where you're not willing to sacrifice even a day, even a day, to, to, to sacrifice yourself for the bigger cause of the body. And that's the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus, he sacrificed his entire body for all of us. And if you're someone who's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not going to fast because, you know, I, I've got my own thing going on. I've got my own agenda. Then that, that says something about your spiritual maturity. That says something about how, okay, you probably are a little bit more focused on yourself than you are on the bigger body of Christ. But you were made to be part of a body. If you believe that, say Amen. Philippians 2, 1 to 5, read it with me together. It says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Keep on going. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Go back to verse 1. Long passage, but one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. See, what is it saying? Go back to verse 1. It says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Do you guys have any encouragement from being united with Christ? Aren't you guys glad that God loves you? Aren't you guys glad you have a relationship with God? Right? If you have an encouragement from being united with Christ. If you have any comfort from his love. Are you guys comforted by the love of God? Does God's love give you comfort day to day? His promises give you comfort? That's all vertical, right? You know, if, if, any, you know, if, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, common sharing with the Spirit, that's saying, you know, aren't, aren't you glad you can sense the presence of God when you come to church? That you can pray and have, have, have an intimate relationship with God? See, th- th- this is what Paul's saying. If you have this, look at me right now. If you have this, this vertical relationship with God, you've got, you know, you experience His love. You have a relationship with God. You, you have fellowship with the Spirit. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What am I doing? Am I just doing exercise right now? What am I doing? I'm, I'm showing you the cross. I'm showing you the cross. See, a lot of us, we have this idea that, oh, my faith as a Christian is all just about me and God, me and God. It's just me and God, so happy, so joyful. You know, it's just me and God, me and God. But Paul is saying, if you have this, then do this. 
if you have this, then love other people. If you have this love relationship with God, then show it by the way you love your church. Show it by the way you're united with others, being like-minded, having the same purpose, having the same like-mindedness about it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. What is that? It's that there's a horizontal aspect of Christianity. There's a vertical aspect of Christianity. It's not one or the other. It's both. It's both. And when you have this, then you're able to do this. And so can I, can I, can I tell you here in this place is that for, for those of you who've just kept on focusing, oh, it's just me and God, me and me and God, and you, you like to, you'd like to hop from place to place and, and, and you're very consumer driven, even as a Christian. Can I tell you, one of the challenges that I believe God is wanting to move you to a new season that God wants to move you to is to start, stop thinking me and stop and start thinking we, Amen. Stop thinking so much about me and start thinking more about we. And, and what is that? It's learning to love the people around you. It's about learning to follow your leaders. It's learning to love your church well. And when you do that, when you do that, you will be blessed as well. If you believe that, say amen. The Bible says, if you seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, he will add everything else that you need. A lot of people, they do the opposite. They'll be like, oh, you know what? School's going to get busy. Work's going to get busy. Forget about church. Forget about small group. I don't need small group right now. I don't need church right now. I don't need to read my Bible right now. When I have more time, I'll do that stuff. But I'm going to focus on my own thing right now. i got to focus on my school right now. i got to focus on my work right now. Can I tell you that? You've got it all flipped around. Because the Bible says if you seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, everything else you need will be provided. But if you do the opposite, you're going to find that even the stuff you need, you're not going to be able to find it. Because you were made to seek God's kingdom first. If you believe that, give God a big hand here in this place right now. Amen. Am I, am I making sense in this place this morning? Do you hear me this morning? When you love your church well, you yourself will be blessed. You're going to find this, is that those, if you're in a good church, if you're in a good church, a good healthy church, and you follow the leaders well, you follow the church well, you, go, you, you, you get connected with others, and, and, all, and, you, and you kind of, you know, the church is going this way, I'm going to go too. You're going to find that you will grow along with your church. You will personally grow. Your health and your church's health are go hand in hand. Your success and your church's success go hand in hand. Your growth and your church's growth go hand in hand. But if you're someone who's like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to do my own thing. Yeah, other people are fasting and praying. That's nice. I'm going to go to the gym to work out and do my own thing. You know, oh, that's pe- people are doing the TDS2 uh, challenge right now. That's cool. Okay. All right, but I'm going to do my own thing. I, I, don't, I don't need it. And see, this is the thing. More often than not, you'll find that the healthy Christian is one who is well involved, well integrated, well connected with the body of Christ. When you cut yourself off from the body, that's when you start to disintegrate spiritually. For example, if I cut this hand off my body, not that I'd ever want to do that, but if I had to cut my hand off the body, what would happen to the body? What would happen to the body? The body would hurt. The body would suffer. The body would be less powerful. The body would be less effective. It would be harder to do things. And, but eventually, the body will heal and move on. But when you cut the hand off the body, what happens to the hand? The hand shrivels up and dies on the spot. It's because you and I, we are all part of the same body. And you and I were meant to be connected together as one body. When we cut ourselves off, that is not just called amputation. That's also called spiritual suicide. That's what it is. And so for those of you who are tempted to cut yourself off from the church of God in this new season, because you're like, oh, I'm too busy. Oh, I'm so distracted by stuff. Oh, you know what? I believe God's challenge for you today. Seek his kingdom first.
and his righteousness, and he will add everything that you need. If you believe that, if you receive that, give God a big hand here in this place right now. Amen. 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 Praise God. I was going to do a little illustration for you guys, but uh, I don't know if we'll have time for it. But uh, I was going to do this. I was going to get four guys to come up here. And we're all crouched together. And we're like the church, right? We're, we're pr- you know what? Well, I'll, I'll just do this really quick with two guys. So Silas, why don't you come up? Um, and uh, Ryan, why don't you come up? Okay, Daniel, why don't you come up? Okay, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Uh, is that Kelvin? I, can't, I don't have the glasses. Okay, Kelvin, why don't you come up? Okay, come up, come up, come up. Yeah. Okay, sure. Okay, hands too. That's fine. That's fine. Okay, so here we go. All right, so uh, you're going to feel a bit excluded right now. Ryan, I want you to go to the side, okay? Here we go. Go to the side. Go to the side. All right, so I, I want to picture that we're, we're all followers of Jesus. We're all in the same church. We're all brothers in Christ, right? Yeah, brothers, brothers, right? Brothers, brothers, right, 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 okay? Okay, and this is what the church does. The church does this. All right, let's crouch down. All right. We crouch together. We hang out together. We pray together. Let's all pray together. We, we read the Word of God together. Pretend you're reading the Word of God. Pretend you're reading the Bible together. We listen to sermons together and we take notes together, right? That we serve together, we serve others together. We do those things, you know. When we go through problems, we support one another and we, hey, we pray for one another. We pray. And as we do these things, the Bible says something is that as we grow, as we do these things, we grow up together. We grow up together. But here's the thing that happens. A lot of people that say, you know what? Oh, I'm too busy for church right now. I'm going to do my own thing. They, they, they cut themselves off. And they want you crouch down, crouch down. And so these guys, we pray, we grow. We read God's word together, we grow. We support and encourage one another, we grow. We serve together, we grow. We, we, we do all these, and we are strong together. We grow. It's not just our church is growing, but I'm growing too. I'm growing too. Amen. I'm growing too. But if I'm crouched together by, on, my, on my own, I'm cut off, I will remain in this fetal position spiritually where I'm, nothing's coming into me and hardly anything's coming out. And, and it will be very, very difficult for you to have a healthy relationship with God at all. In fact, it's like cutting a hand off the body. Can we give all of our volunteers a big hand right now in this place right now? Does that make sense? With that in mind, I'm here to tell you that as we go into this time of fasting and praying together as a church, whether or not you need a breakthrough personally, whether or not you are entering into a new season and need to get ready for it. The fact that we as a church are praying together, I want to encourage you to see yourself not just as an individual follower of Jesus, but as a member of a bigger body and say, you want know because my church is doing it, I'm going to do it too. Because the church is doing it, I'm going to be a great team player. And I'm, going to, I'm going to go where my church is going because I believe in what God is doing in our church and we believe the best is yet to come. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. Amen. Let me ask this question. Just now, those four guys huddled together, that one guy crouched down, which one best describes you this past year? This past year, have you been huddled well together with your church, going where your church is going, growing together, supporting one another, encouraging another, doing those things, or have you kind of just been on your own, kind of just trying to figure things out by yourself? You're going to find very likely, very likely, very likely, is that you haven't grown very much if you're in the latter case. We want to be people who see ourselves as part of a bigger body. Let's all look, look, look Ephesians chapter 4, 14 to 16 together. Reading a loud voice, 14, Ephesians 4, 14 to 16. Do we have that? 
PowerPoint, yeah, very good. Let's read it in loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's when we are supported in one another, held together by every supporting ligament, that's when we grow. You want to grow deeper and stronger this coming year? Then be well grafted into your church because you are a part of the body. You are part of something much, much bigger than yourself. That's because you were made to be part of the kingdom of God. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. Last thing is this. How do you do the church-wide fast? The five church-wide fasts that's starting tomorrow? Well, let me give some practical tips on what you can do. Number one is this. Fill out the card that's on your chair right now. And uh, you can hand that in uh, as the offering bag is coming along later on. You can fill that out. You can choose what meals you want to fast from or what days you're going to fast. Fill that out with your contact information. When we receive that today, we will send you an email with a lot more details on how you can do fasting safely and in a positive way. That's the first thing. Number two is read. Every day I'm going to be sending you guys an email with some stuff that's going to encourage you some stuff that's going to help you as you fast during that day, some things you can pray for, maybe in a song that you can listen to. Number three is instead of eating, you want to use that time to pray and to draw near to God. And, and lastly, and this is so, so, so important. Everyone say, this is so important. This is so important. Join us for our nightly prayer meetings. We have three prayer meetings. Not six this time, but three. Everyone say three. We've got three prayer meetings from 6.30 p.m. to 7.45 p.m. Monday to Wednesday. And it's going to be in our new Children's Ministry Center, just, just a few doors down from here. And we're going to be praying together, worshiping God together. Some people find, a lot of people find that this is the fav- their favorite part of fasting together as a church. is when we get together as a group, as a church family, and we pray together. It is something powerful that you want to experience. Don't miss these prayer meetings. I want to encourage you to go to every single one this coming week. Amen? 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 It's just three. It's not six this time. It's three. And we want to do our very best to make it there. Look at Joel chapter 2, 15 to 17 together. One, two, three. It says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children. Those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. What is it saying? It's saying, okay, guys, we want everyone to come. It doesn't matter if you're newly married. It doesn't matter if you're old or you're young. We want everyone to come together to declare a holy fast, to call a sacred assembly, to join hands and pray together with and for our church. What's the lesson here? Is that fasting and praying is something that you were meant to do with your church. And that's why we're doing these three prayer meetings together. And I want to encourage you guys to do everything you can to make it to these three prayer meetings that are happening tomorrow, Tuesday, and Wednesday. You know, whenever we ask for feedback from people, we always get so such great feedback from our prayer meetings. There's one sister who wrote this. She said, during our prayer meetings, it, I, it, it, I felt like I was being filled up once again as we cried out to the Holy Spirit. I sensed God's presence. It made me forget about my hunger and allowed me to draw closer to God. God used our prayer meetings to strengthen my faith, hope, and my confidence that no matter what happens, God is always with me. Can we do, church, our absolute best to be at our prayer meetings this coming week? I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Yeah, 
I'm talking to you. Yes. You know, not me? Me? Yes, you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Remember about six months ago, we did the GLV fast together. And I said, hey, guys, maybe that past week was a bad week. Maybe it was an off week. But can I ask you, the next time we fast and pray as a church, let's do everything we can to make it to every single prayer meeting that we can this coming week when we fast. That time has come. That time is now. And so let's do everything we can, church. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. It's just three days. Tell person, it's just three days. It's so short that you're going to wish we did more. That's how good it's going to be. It's so short, you're going to wish we did more. And so I want to encourage you, three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, let's put the times up there, 6.30, on three three days. We're going to break fast together on Wednesday. That's going to be a lot of fun. Why? It's because we were meant to fast and pray together. Amen. It's because we need breakthroughs, not just in your own life, but we want to see breakthroughs in our church. We don't want to see 100 people baptized here at Thrive. We want to see 1,000 people baptized at Thrive very soon. We want to see God continue to expand his territory in us. We want to get ready for a brand new season as we head into September. And so we need to fast and to pray. You need to fast and to pray if you want to break through. You need to fast and pray if you're getting ready for a new season. And since we're praying together as a church, and if you call Thrive your home church, guess what? You need to fast and pray simply on that basis because we are a team together. Let's all stand. Give God a big hand, a big shout in this place. Come on. If I'm the only one excited here, that's not right. Give God a big hand and shout.